Great stuff. Well, welcome everybody. Nice to see everyone back here today. It's just fantastic. Kia ora e te whanau, uh, mālo, anyonghaseo, apakaba, nihau, and, uh, and all the people who are currently offended because I'm not saying hello in their language, just imagine that I am, okay? So that's awesome. It's great to be back here. Hey, look, as we move another step back towards normal, um, we just want to say, uh, like we did last week, uh, we just want to take a moment just to welcome and honour uh, both those who were vaccinated and those who were not vaccinated. Um, because both of us, all of us, we, we did what we did according to what uh, our conscience was saying to us. And it takes great courage for us to do that. And so we just want to take a moment, uh, regardless of where you landed on that, we honour you uh, for making the decisions you made for the reasons you thought were the right things. That's fantastic. That's what it's about. We bless you and welcome everybody back. It's so so good. So we've nearly finished this series called uh, Journey to the Cross, and next week, of course, we've got Easter Friday service at 9 o'clock, and then our two Easter Sunday services, which would be awesome. And in this series, we've been looking at the journey that Jesus took his disciples on as he came into Jerusalem for that last week, and as he prepared himself for the cross as well. You know, it's interesting when I look at the scriptures at how slow it seemed the disciples to actually get their heads around the fact that Jesus was going to die. And the reality is, is that I think that there's always a bit of denial when it comes to that. I think it's normal. Nobody wants to die and nobody wants to see their loved ones die. And, and Jesus is very intentionally, I believe, taking his disciples on this journey. You see, Jesus, for him, Death didn't seem to bother him. He didn't want to die, but at the same time, it didn't seem to bother Jesus. He saw death differently to how most of us seem to. And Jesus was specifically preparing both himself and his disciples because, as we know, not only did Jesus die, but also all of his disciples and all of his disciples, bar one, were martyred. They would have to face the cross or something similar for themselves. And as we come towards Easter, uh, and as we look towards celebrating Jesus' death, which is kind of a little bit morbid in a way, until we reframe that and understand that actually it was Jesus' death that was essential for us to be free from our sin. It was his death that paid that weight of sin that enabled us to be reconciled to God. He is the atoning sacrifice he is the Lamb of God. Without that, we are lost. And so we come to Easter recognizing that there's something very significant about Jesus' death and also, of course, his resurrection, as we'll look at on Sunday. And so as we come to this, Jesus speaks about a number of things. We're just going to look at three of them. Uh, and the first one we looked at was what life purpose really is. I believe Jesus very clearly speaks to the disciples about what life purpose really is. That's what we looked at at week one. Secondly, last week, uh, Pastor Shane preached about how Jesus very clearly spoke to the idea of living with an eternal perspective. What does it mean to really have eternal life? If you didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to it. It was amazing. And now this week, we're going to look at what Jesus specifically said about dying, about death, and about heaven. Um, of course, uh, we know how the story ends. Right? We, we know that Jesus came back to life. We understand that he conquered death, that he was crowned king of kings and lord of lords and all those things. We understand that, yet the challenge, right, is that we still have to face death at some point. And Jesus 
powerfully reframed what death and dying is. So much of the world's perceptions of death are based on a purely medical model, that death is extinction. It's lights off, it's the spark has gone out. Yet we find this persistent hope in almost every nation of the world, almost every culture, that maybe actually death isn't extinction, that maybe there's something beyond that for us. And if we trace that back, so much of it comes back to Jesus and what he did and what he taught us. And it's important because if we truly believed that death was not the end, I think we would live differently. And that's what I want us to look at today. It's funny, isn't it? The older you get, the more it seems you think about death. You kind of get closer to it. It's kind of like, I need to think about this. The younger generation give little thought to dying. I heard the story recently of a young person who was at a funeral, and just before the funeral started, they jumped out of their seat, dashed up to the priest, and said, "Uh, excuse me, can you tell me what the Wi-Fi password is? The priest, shocked, leaned forward and hissed at the young person, have some respect for the dead. The young person hissed back, awesome, is that all lowercase with no spaces? The older I get, the more I realize that the day is coming one of these days when my race will be run, when I will have to face that. You know, Pastor Shane talked last week about the fact that actually our lives are not just what we think they are. And if you were here last Sunday, you would have seen Shane pull up this bit of rope. And, and he used this rope to, to explore the idea of what eternal life really is all about. And you've got to imagine that this rope just goes on and on and on forever. And Pastor Shane talked about how, you know, the reality is, is that all we focus on is the little red bit. That this is when I came into relationship with God, and this is when I die. And yet through it all, the rope goes and continues on. And we spend all of our lives focused on this bit. And in particular, very often we spend a lot of this time here focused on retiring. Like when we get old enough, then we can retire, and then we can go and like retire and do retiree things. You know, like, like uh, drink coffee and play golf, something like that. And, and we, we spend all that time just focusing on this little bit here. Like just can't wait till we get to that little bit there. But meanwhile, what about all this stuff here and, and all this down? What about all of this? Because this is what God talks to us about. And so today, what I want to talk about in particular is that little bit there. What happens when the red ends? And we need to understand what God's perspective is, what the truth is. Because, as we know, when we live the truth, it will set us free. As Christians, there should be, uh, we should be the people who have the least problem with death. We should be the ones who are not afraid of it or not concerned about it. We are the ones who should have a revelation on this. And so it's important that we talk about it. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now, I find that intriguing because for most of us, death seems to have plenty of victory. And death seems to have plenty of sting. I've been to two funerals just in the last 10 days. And, you know, it's like... And yet yet Paul... He doesn't talk about death in the same way we do. For him, there there is no victory. Death has no victory. Death has no sting. 
In fact, he talks about it as, you know, like if I, if I live, awesome, but if I die, I get to be with Jesus, awesomer. Like he has this completely different understanding, and I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do for his disciples and therefore also for us, to reframe radically what death is so we truly understand what is going on. And so as we look at a couple of key passages today of Jesus speaking, the first thing Jesus does is he gives us the analogy of childbirth. John 16, 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. Every mum here gets that. Then Jesus says this, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You see, Jesus is paralleling a woman giving, giving birth to a child with his disciples giving Jesus over to death or, or people giving a loved one over to death. There's pain in that moment. There's grief. There's sadness. These things happening are going on. But something is being born, and we must not miss that. Jesus is saying in childbirth, a person is born into this world, and in dying, a person is born into the next world. It's kind of like, really? No, not really. Jesus is making it up because he wants us to feel better. Yes, really. Like, this is really what Jesus is saying. He's, he's using birth as a direct analogy for what death is because the disciples have got to get their heads around this. This is not the end. This is a whole bunch of things, but it's sure as heck not the end. Jesus goes on and, and, and he unpacks this in different ways, but I want to pause on this just for a moment because I think this comparison between death and birth is is really helpful for us. I promise that was my microphone. <laughs> Jimmy? <laughs> Death is compared to birth. Why? Because it's just a different kind of birth. And this is helpful, right? Three thoughts on this. Number one, you see, birth is our beginning. We get that. Birth is the beginning. Therefore, death is a beginning. Birth is the the end of one part of life, or certainly so it probably seems to a baby, but we know it's actually just the beginning of a much bigger, longer, more expansive part of life. And so also death looks and feels like the end, but it's actually just the beginning of a much bigger, longer, broader aspect of life. Birth is a beginning. Secondly, birth is an entrance to a bigger world. Now think about this. That tells us that death is the entrance to a bigger world. You know, before birth, for a, a baby in the womb, the world is a very small place. It's a very small place. And yet when that child is born, it is born into an overwhelming cacophony of sounds and sights and, and space. And I mean, it just, it's just exponentially huge when you go from a womb onto planet Earth, right? And therefore, so it is in death. Death is this entrance into, I mean, we think the world's pretty big, right? But we've got to realize that actually, if birth is an entrance into a bigger world, so is death. And we will go through that into something that is beyond what we can even conceive. We will be overwhelmed. And then thirdly, birth is the transformation, 
listen to this, of an existing and enduring relationship. Therefore, death also is the transformation of an existing and enduring relationship. You see, in birth, the connection between child and mother continues. It's just different. It's, it's more immediate. It's, it's more face-to-face. And, and over time, that relationship grows and deepens. I mean, you know, one of the funerals we were at was um, a couple in our congregation, and, and her mother had died in, the, in her 80s, and yet the connection between child and mother was still there. Yet yeah, when you're inside the womb, you know, science tells us that probably the, the baby can hear sounds, but they're probably a little muffled, and, and there may even be some aspect perhaps maybe of, of something visual. We're not entirely sure. But when that baby comes out, all of a sudden now it can hear its mother's voice with clarity. It can see its mother's face with clarity. So too when we, when we as Christians live in this world, then the Apostle Paul talks about it like kind of like seeing in a mirror darkly or in a glass darkly. Like we, we can kind of see but not really see. We can hear but not really hear. I tell you, when we go through, as with birth, as in death, when we go through, we're going to see God face to face. We're going to hear God with clarity. The analogy is incredibly helpful for us. And so Jesus explains that death is in many ways similar to birth, yet that does not explain it completely. Jesus also said this about death. Speaking to his disciples, John 14, 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. And the word rooms there can be translated mansions. It can also be translated um, spaces in which to dwell. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I didn't need to say that. I didn't need to tell you that. But I did specifically. Would I have no- if I hadn't said it, you would not have known. But I did say it. And there's a reason why I said it. It's because it's true. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, ah, no. He says, Lord, we we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to unpack this a little bit now. Three great promises for you regarding dying. Number one is this. There is room for you. There is room for you. There is a place that has been prepared specifically for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. The Greek for that first sentence is in the imperative. It's not a suggestion. He's saying, no, 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 stop it. Stop being troubled. Stop being stressed about this. Stop worrying about this. Why? You see, Jesus is speaking with complete confidence about heaven. There is room for you. I have, and I will go ahead and prepare a room for you. It will be ready for you. Stop being worried about that. There is room for you. Will you receive that this morning? The second promise is this. I have gone ahead to prepare it. If that were not so, he says, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? You see, preparation speaks of welcome, right? Of care, of love, of someone anticipating 
and wanting it to be such a positive experience for you when you arrive. Now, about six weeks ago, we had all the staff around to our house. And who knows what Liz was doing for like three hours before people arrived. She was preparing, right? She, we were going around the house, lifting everything above Malachi height. It could possibly be broken, right? But also preparing food and drinks and making the place look fantastic. Why? Because we really love these guys. And when they come, we want them to feel welcomed. You know, Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. In fact, according to Jesus' words, part of his purpose in dying was specifically so that he could go and prepare a place for you. Yes, it was the atonement for sin for the world. Yes, it was also so he could prepare a place for those who love him. You know, Jesus' death was not accidental. It was very purposeful. And his understanding of what was ahead was that, man, you are gonna, like, you're gonna love this. This is going to be something beyond what you can imagine. You know, it's like, well, earth was great, but this is going to be so, so much greater. You know, you cannot know that the next place could be greater unless someone who has been there comes and tells you, right? Let me illustrate. A number of years ago, we went on a holiday. Uh, This is a lot of years ago. Our kids were really small. To O'Kane's Bay on Banks Peninsula near Christchurch. It's a beautiful little dock campground there right by the sea, uh, massive kind of big pine tree forest, and you kind of camp in there under the trees. It was awesome. However, it was a fairly ambitious camping escapade. Uh, we had um, three children, one which was a newish baby still in a cot. Uh, we, we were staying in a, in a borrowed little pop-top caravan um, five of us in a pop-top caravan, plus a little tent, plus we had an international student staying with us, plus we had two other friends come and join us as well, and we were kind of providing for all of them. We got in there, we set up camp. It was like a bit of a squash. In the, in the pop-top caravan, uh, Kate's porticot took up the entire floor area, so to get anywhere, you had to kind of open the door and then get up on the seat and walk along the seat to the other end where you could then get down onto the double bed and do it. I mean, it was, it was pretty cramped and pretty tight. Uh, not only that, um, that evening as the sun set, one of our kids had a massive uh, allergic reaction to all of the pine pollen and their eyes swelled up literally like ping pong balls. It was something to behold, I can tell you. Uh, And so not only that, of course, we never registered the fact that our kids had never slept uh, in a pine forest in a tent by themselves. And so all night it was, I'm up and crawling along and then out the door and then send the kid and back in. And then, and then this one had ping pong ball eyes. Okay, well, you go and sleep next to mom. And then I'm, and of course, so I'm in there like the kid's sleeping bag, which goes up nearly to my waist. And so like there is no sleep that night, no sleep at all. We get up in the morning, just, you know, but, and, and I'm, I'm relentless. This is going to be an awesome holiday. So I bravely declare to everyone, I'm going to cook bacon and eggs for everyone, eight people. That was before I realized we only had a two burner, little tiny two burner stove in the caravan to cook bacon and eggs for eight people on. So an hour and a half later after doing this and getting it finally done, man, I am holding on by the finest of threads. And then we're just, we're just trying to get to that place where, okay, kids, go and play, play, run free, children, and then we are going to kind of regroup and have a big cup of coffee, right? And then you know what happened? Thank you, Jesus. It started to rain. <laughs> Something inside me just snapped, and I went, we're leaving. 
and I think I just grabbed Liz and we went and got in the car and we drove out of the campground over into Akaroa and we just started trying to find some accommodation. Luckily, it was only two days before Christmas and everything was booked. Literally, everything was booked. And then we finally found one place, a hotel that had one thing left and it just happened to be like a two or three bedroom suite. It literally took all the rest of our savings to pay for it for three days. But it was like it had been prepared by God for us. It was unbelievable. It was all, everything was all white and crisp sheets on the bed, no pollen anywhere. It was absolutely glorious. So we drove back over to O'Kane's Bay and kind of told everyone about this place that God has prepared for us. We went back over there. We packed up everything. We stayed there for three days. It was glorious. In fact, it was quite funny because every time we go for a walk with the kids, we get like 150 meters from the hotel and the kids would go, we want to go home. And they didn't mean home. They meant, we just want to go back to the hotel. It's so nice. Like it was so nice compared to, you know, pollen hell over the hill. And, uh, but you know, when we went back and tried to tell the kids this, they would never have believed what we felt God had prepared for us unless we had come back from there. You cannot know the next place could be greater until someone who has been there comes and tells you. And Jesus says about heaven, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I've come from there. and I'm going to go there again. And I'm telling you, it's awesome. And this takes us to the third promise God gives us this morning. He says, I will take you there myself. Now, this is interesting. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, commentators tell us that this, yes, this does refer to his resurrection in general terms. He's going to die and he's going to come back. But in order for this to be true, this must refer to something else as well. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Now, each of the disciples died at a different time in history to the others. For this to be true then, it means that it's a promise that Jesus is going to come back to each one of those disciples when they pass through death. And he's going to take them to the place that he has prepared for them, a room in his father's house. You know the way to the place I'm going, Jesus says. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. Let me illustrate. Lizzie and I have had the privilege uh, of being involved in numerous missions trips over the years. And, you know, one thing is consistent, apart from, of course, the general lack of sleep, the concerns that you're going to get horrendous diarrhea uh, from eating something you shouldn't eat, uh, and, of course, the um, amazement that God's doing things that you've possibly never seen before. But the one thing that is consistent is that wherever you go, there's always someone to meet you at the airport which is really good, right? Because you fly into a country you've never been to before, an airport you've never been to, you can't even navigate your way to the car park, let alone try and get to the accommodation. And what we've always found is that there's always someone, a host, a friend, there's always someone there to meet you. I'll never forget my first missions trip. Uh, it was in our first year of marriage. We had the opportunity to go to Malawi in Africa, which was absolutely amazing. Until that point, I'd only ever been to Australia. I still remember being absolutely gobsmacked. I went to, to Sydney, Australia, woke up the next morning, and I felt the presence of God. And I went, God's in Australia too? Who knew? Like, that blew my mind. Anyway, we went to Africa, and uh, we had an amazing time. As we came through customs, uh, we could hear that, like, 
what sounded like a party going on, stomping and singing, full noise. Uh, African voices in the most extraordinary harmony. And as we came out of the main area of the airport uh, into the darkness and the fragrance of the evening, uh, there, our, there were the Elam missionaries that we were there to visit, friends of ours, and with them, like, it seemed like half the church, all singing and celebrating. And it was utterly overwhelming and completely magical. We were gathered up, our luggage was located, and we were whisked off to our accommodation. Now, we didn't know the way, but we knew our friends, and our friends knew the way. All we needed to know is that they were coming for us and that they would meet us. So if you've ever traveled like that or been on a missions trip, then you know how it rolls. You know the way. Why? Because the one who is meeting you is the way. When you go to heaven, you know the way. Why? Because the one who is meeting you is is the way. You know, the devil wants us to live afraid of death. He does not want us to have an eternal perspective. He does not want us to know that eternal life is firstly a relationship with God that continues on seamlessly through the events of life, including through death itself. And he does not want us to live fearless or unafraid of death. But if we're going to live from an eternal perspective, we must understand what death really is. We must be able to look it in the face and know that it is just a door. And I'm not suggesting for one moment that we live reckless or that we live careless. I don't want anyone to think that it's okay to go and take their own life. You know, that situation in New Zealand is already horrific, and that is not what I'm saying. The Bible clearly says that there is a time for us to be born and a time for us to die, and that is in God's hands. God opens that door, not us. He is the one that we must wait for to come and get us. But we must make peace with what death is. It is not the light switch turned off. It is not extinction. It is being born into a new place, a new thing. It is a continuation of a beautiful and powerful relationship. It is something we can be secure in the knowledge of when we get to that point, He will meet us and take us there. I love the story of when Pastor John Booth died and uh, Pastor Daryl, who him and Denise hit up our uh, Pukakohe campus, he tells a story about when his dad died just a few years ago. Uh, the whole family were gathered around. They'd been there for a couple of days Pastor John was largely unconscious by this stage. And, and then moments before he died, of course, they didn't realize that he was about to die. But he suddenly sat up, looked up, and exclaimed very quietly, He's here. And then moments later, he was gone. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Will you receive his promises this morning? There is room for you. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, and he will take you there himself when that day arrives. Let's pray just quickly.